The soapbox is yours, Ethan. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm over reviews and I'll tell you why I'm over reviews. What's the last podcast that you started listening to because the reviews were good? That's hard to say. Because the answer is zero. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. No, I think I have an answer. I think I have an okay. answer, but I don't see behind the 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 curtain, whatever the Wizard of Oz quote is, you know, the, the man behind the curtain to know what the algorithm is. But mm -hmm. one of my favorite podcasts that we talked about was how to take over the world. And I'm almost positive I was served that podcast on Spotify because I was listening to the Hardcore History series about the Persian Empire. And part of the story of the Persian Empire is Philip II, who is the first Macedonian king, sort of, you know, he, he, he's the son of Alexander and Alexander basically kills the Persian empire. And after I finished that, I was served the episode about Philip II for how to take over the world. And it's difficult for me to see that whole entire thing happening without an algorithm coming into play. And if reviews are part of the algorithm, then mm. I think it's something that we should be mindful of. So that's my answer. Okay. So actually you touched on something important, but this is actually going to, I think this, this is ultimately going to help to serve my point too, Take which is point. this. Okay. okay. So there's basically my, my take on this. There's like two things. The first and most important one is I just don't think people read reviews when they're picking it like anything anymore, maybe a restaurant, right. Or restaurant like, for sure. yeah, maybe a couple of products that you might get stuck with or something like that. But for things like podcasts, I kind of think reviews are outdated. I think reviews probably were like a big thing in the past in terms of how algorithms or these platforms like chose to promote what they promoted, but they're all getting better now at understanding the context of what's being talked about and serving up content based on what the users actually like. And I think your story is kind of an example, right? Where it's it like, could be. yeah, like, oh, you just listened to something about this war. You might also like this, that like we know it's about and we know that people listen pretty deep into this so we have like all these other judges that this is a good podcast i don't think it was because somebody wrote like a, a stunning review of the persian like aspect of that episode so this is I, i've been working on this slowly and the reason is because a couple people in the advertising space have started talking about this too like if you talk to a lot of paid ad guys right now they're not doing super targeted audience sets anymore. Like uh, Matt came on here a couple of weeks ago and he was saying the exact same thing for Milk Road. And then I was talking to, um, oh, I can't remember his name, this guy down in Nashville who does the same thing. And he was, he was saying the same thing. He's like, I don't do narrow targeting because Facebook is getting so good at understanding the users that you leave your targeting broad and they'll connect they you with the it? people. Yeah. So I agree with you that like, I think reviews were important for a long time, but I just don't think, I think it's kind of a relic of an earlier time, like on the podcast. I just don't see the, the actual use for it. Plus nobody ever does it. You know, it's like, you're, you're like, not you, but like podcast hosts are constantly saying like subscribe, leave us a review. And everyone's like, Thanks, but I got shit to do. So, <laughs> so what I think we should do, like, and I'll tell you this, this is this, it, here is what I do listen to podcasts from. I don't read the reviews. If somebody sends me a podcast over and over and over and over again, and they yeah. won't shut up about it. Sometimes I'll give it a listen. Other than that, I don't know, man. I don't really know what has driven my podcast list because it's pretty short. Like there's only like three that I really listen to. Me too. And that's what's interesting about podcasts is everybody has their favorite ones and there's like extreme loyalty to them. Yeah. Okay. So let me think about this. You could be right, although we don't have any evidence to show it, but let's just say that you're right <laughs> so that we can have this conversation. Okay. You could if be right, even case, though there's nothing supporting your argument. Yeah, <laughs> even though it's not exactly. If it's the case that reviews don't matter, like, okay, so when's the last time you listened to a podcast that had bad reviews? Like, if you look at a podcast and you see two stars, are you going to listen to it? I couldn't even tell you because I don't look at the reviews for any podcast, you know? Really? 
Yeah, no. I mean, do, do you? I don't even know. I don't even know where I would find reviews. I mean, I'm They're assuming right it's top. on Apple. Like, if you see a new show, you never scroll through the titles for a little bit and look at Dude, the top. A, like, you just I'm always trend, start with the most recent a, episode. <laughs> we're trendsetters, man. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're in there before the reviews, bro. Like, there's nobody yeah. who's... Uh, we're we're so far ahead. No, to be honest, though, I don't know. And but you know what? I've been very like leery of reviews recently because I um, the last time I really so hijacked. Well, it's just the last time I even paid attention to reviews for anything was I was uh, about to move into this apartment, which I love. I've been here for almost three years. It's in a part of town that I love. I love my place. The neighbors are great. The property's great. I read the reviews and I almost didn't move here because it said that there were raccoons in the walls that had literally like clawed their way into somebody's kitchen ceiling and stolen all their food. And I was like, that just sounds <laughs> like who needs that? And then I, um, but I loved the apartment so much. I was like, ah, oh, man, that really sucks that those reviews exist. And so then I went back and I looked up the reviews for all the other places that I've lived that I really liked. They're all terrible. And I was like, oh, you know what it probably is, man. It's like, the person who leaves reviews that's such a specific user type and for some things like apartments it's only people who hate them you know it's like you have a bad experience so you leave a review other things maybe like restaurants maybe podcasts like you get people who really love it but i don't think i don't know man it's just not um so you know what i, I think, think it's what's I hear what you're saying. There's negativity bias with reviews. The type of person that leaves reviews is usually the type of person that's, that leaves a bad review. Yeah. But I'm, so I'm, I'm thinking of the opposite. Where's the positivity bias? And I think it's probably screenshots shared onto Instagram stories. If I ever, if there's ever a podcast, I'm like, oh, wow, I really, or even a song, and I really enjoy this, the first, like how I show my support is I take a screenshot. And, and on Instagram, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, or on Spotify, if you take a screenshot on Spotify, somehow iOS knows that you're on Spotify taking a screenshot and that little prompt comes up that says, would you like to share this on Instagram story? And if you do, it's not just a picture of the screenshot. It's a link to the podcast on Spotify as well. No way. Yeah. So I, I wonder, I mean, maybe it was right in front of us the whole time. Maybe asking for reviews <laughs> is dumb and we should be asking for people to share our podcast on, on their stories. I don't know how you would track that though. Me neither. But I think that's kind of part of it too. Like we have this weird thing where, I mean, for people listening, you know, we, we, we're on anchor so we can see the stats every single week on listenership and they're just going up. But I wouldn't say we've done anything that we can really map that to, you know, like except for, keep showing up and try and tell good stories. So I don't know what drives, I don't know what drives it. I do agree with you though, on that point that like, if people share a, like a link in public, that is way more valuable than like going and leaving totally. a review somewhere, you know? Yeah. And, and I just think, I think the whole thing is, I think it's just one of these social things that everybody gets used to. And then stops questioning at some point. Like you see these little kids walking around who were like raised during the pandemic and they think everything is a hand sanitizer dispenser. Have you seen those YouTube videos? <laughs> yeah, it's really like, it's like funny and terrifying at the and same sad. time. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> they'll just go up to like parking meters and like put their hand under, you know, just like random shit that they think is a hand sanitizer. Um, Unless you stop for a second and start like questioning things that people have always done, you can just keep doing it. So That's I'm done. Point. I'm done. Done asking for reviews. But what I will say, people listening, is if you enjoy this, please keep uh, telling your friends about it because people are friends. doing that and it's it's working. So actually, I have a quick shout out. Um, Great. Uh, to John Bardos and Dylan uh, Redekop. And to be honest, uh, sorry, Dylan, I'm not sure if I'm mispronouncing your last name, but you guys already know these usernames. These are uh, John is Idea Economy on Twitter, and Dylan is Growth Currency. Both dudes are out there like helping creators uh, build businesses. And the reason I'm thanking them is because they're the ones apparently who let Chanel know about the episode that we did. Oh, about I saw her. that. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting her know, which is great. 
And uh, yeah, appreciate you. Go check out, go go check them out on Twitter and sign up for their newsletters and stuff like that. If you're listening to this, they're out there sharing great information as well. Yeah. Dude, what else? We got a whole bunch of stuff. I got a bunch of stuff that I want to talk through today. I'm I got not sure so much. I'm like, I'm hoping that you just kind of take the ball with it because I got two things that I can share. And I don't know if you want me to go first or if you want to go first. Wait, why don't you tell me what your two things are? And then we'll, we'll just tell like high level. What are they? You know what? Actually, no, let me go first, because what we like to do is start the show with giving um, some documentation about like what we're doing. Um, you can still hear me. It says oh. my internet is unstable. You heard all that? You heard yep. all that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Heard yeah. that. Okay. Real so quick, too. Here is what I did. What did you say? I was just going to say, you, you texted me. You texted me yesterday and you said, check out the website. And I wanted to say it looks dope. But did you did you sign up for an email? I mean, I didn't because I'm okay. Well, here, let me show you what <laughs> I did. So, this is the part of the show where I say that if you have a chance to watch the video, please do because I'm sharing my screen. Um, you can just Google Copy Blogger Podcast on YouTube. It's actually a playlist of my personal YouTube channel. But I'm going to copybloggerpod.com, which is obviously our website we host our website on a dope platform called pod page it did think about it i definitely don't know I don't, I don't have the technical know-how to create this thing either way pod page is amazing but one of the downfalls of pod page is that it doesn't naturally give you the option to put something other than the most recent podcast episode at the top of the home page we call that a fold so if you go to the homepage, the default themes, all of them, by the way, make it so that it's just the most recent episode, the most recent you know, post is the top of the fold, kind of like your typical magazine theme. And so it took me two or three days to figure out how to put an email signup form at the very top of the website. All of my websites basically look exactly the same. Um, I like having the email signup form at the very top of the website. There's no reason not to. Um, I like having the CTA within this the sign up form, so you kind of kill two birds at once. Like you put your your main website call to action in the email sign up form, so that the people who are signing up know what they're getting. People who are just here to check out the website know what they're getting. So this took me forever, but what I did. And full disclosure, once again, even though I've said this 80 times on this show, I'm an investor in Sparkloop, sparkloop.app. And Sparkloop recently created a new program, semi-recently, I think about a month and a half ago, called Upscribe. And what happens is when somebody signs up to our new email address, no matter how they do it, so if they do it through this homepage, if they do it through this sidebar form, there's a pop-up that shows up on our website. If they do it through the pop-up, what happens is they get a prompt to then sign up for other suggested newsletters that are part of Upscribe. And if the user decides to also sign up for those newsletters, each one of those newsletters pays us usually about two or three bucks per subscriber what? that we send them. So now every time we get a subscriber, we basically make $7 or so to get a subscriber. And I'm pretty pumped. Isn't that sick? Holy shit. Dude, your audio yeah. cut out a little bit here. So I'm going to just talk for a second because I'm not sure how much mine is coming through. But this is awesome. And I want to... I really want to double... All, all of it. Okay. I really want to double down though in... Uh, shout you out people listening to this tim is like the driving force behind the any financial success that this podcast sees so far like he's always out there just like tinkering with stuff and finding deals and i've joked about this before how it's like it's tough to keep up because i'll just randomly get a text where he goes i did something and <laughs> <laughs> you'd be like I, i've done something and uh i gotta say it's really cool to be working with somebody who does that because for me like i think one of my um i don't know like weaknesses as an entrepreneur is that i tend to think through things a lot 
And uh, sometimes that means I don't act as quickly as I can. And so like Tim constantly pulls me along on this kind of stuff. But then I got to see like when it actually is put in place and it's just functioning. Uh, it's really impressive. So great job. Man. And then also just thanks for being like a, a nut job like this. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, my wife gave me one of those like, hey, Tim. <laughs> I think you're going a little bit too hard. I, I get one of these every like three or four months and she's always right. I'm not saying it in the typical, like, oh, my wife won't stop nagging at me. It's not that at all. She's always right when she says it. But yeah, so Spark Loop is awesome. And it took me a long time to figure out how to do it. Um, as somebody who's an investor in Spark Loop, I will also say that it, it's, it's very technical to set up. There's just mail stuff you have to know how to figure out, which is complicated. I mean, mm. you're, you're in the newsletter space. You know, some of this email functionality is, is way more difficult than you give it credit for. We just think like, yeah, sure, send an email, but <clears throat> there's so much more to it than that. But yeah, either way. So now, assuming people sign up for our newsletter, for our podcast, which by the way, is going now. So if you go to copybloggerpod.com, sign up for the email address and you can get all of our episodes with some other cool tips and what we're working on with please DM me in your inbox. Um, every Friday it goes out, but know that when you sign up, you'll also get prompted some suggested newsletters, which by the way, is guys that we all know. So creator wizard is one <clears throat> for the interested Josh Spector. He's one. Oh, nice. Um, we've covered Josh's newsletter on this show before. Yeah. And, uh, Sahil is on there too, but I was just talking to him on Twitter. He's not paying enough. And so I tried to get, I was like, Hey man, can you like up your price? Because I, I can get you like a ton of subscribers, but he won't do it. And so, sorry, Sahil, we're not, we're not prom promoting your newsletter. Um, <laughs> except for, except for right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, whatever. Right now. <laughs> we're friends. Oh, I like Sahil. That's um, interesting. Wait, why? Uh, talk to me about that though. So uh, he doesn't pay anything or he doesn't pay at all? Or he doesn't, you just think that he's not paying enough? Well, it's not that he is or isn't paying enough. It's just other people are paying more. So, oh, all right. Competing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got to use judgment. Like, I don't know a lot of the newsletters in the space and not all of them are in like the publishing media space. Like there's sports newsletters, there's finance newsletters. There's... Yeah. And so they're, like, they're not all appropriate, you know? Right. But, well, I think that's the bigger thing too. Is like I, it's been a while since I've read Sahil's newsletter. Um, when I did go through it, it was great. Uh, a lot of it is, I'm not sure it's it's specifically creator focused. Like he does a lot of sort of like philosophy and lifestyle yeah, stuff, which could be. Models. I mean, it's, there's yeah, there's there's definitely crossover there on some level. But also, I also feel, I mean, just candidly, he's bigger than us. So it's like, who's going to come to us and be like, Sahil who? Exactly. You know? So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I have been obsessively working on. Um, so that's number one. You want to see my other one or do you want to take it? There's more? Yeah, there's more. And th this one is is <laughs> a little bit more in left field with some of my healthcare stuff, but I personally feel like the other thing I have today is way more um, interesting for me. It might not be interesting for everybody, but it's it's pretty cool what what I did this week. All right, why don't you throw it out there? We'll see. All right. Let the audience be the judge. Yeah. So this is one of my websites, medicallyassisted.com. It's not the typical website that you would hear on a like business podcast. Can I just pause you for a second? Yeah, sure. I, <laughs> this could have gone a lot of ways with medically assisted blank. It's medically assisted <laughs> addiction treatment for anybody wondering. I thought it was going to be suicide, but <laughs> all right. Medically assisted <laughs> yeah. addiction treatment. All right, continue. <laughs> well, it's not just addiction treatment. It's medically assisted treatment, which basically... It's a new form of treatment, which has been controversial over the last 10 years because there's an ideology in some addiction treatment circles that says like total abstinence is the way to go. Like if you're going to get sober, you just totally get sober and everything else like isn't really counting. Mm. Um, you know, I used to have a strong position 
in that in terms of saying like, yeah, I, I, I would believe in the abstinence route. Here's why I changed my mind and why I actually made this website. Because all of my friends who have ever died from overdoses, it was always the same story. It was they shot heroin and then they got sober and they didn't use for like six or seven months. And then they got high with the same kind of amounts that they used to again and died because they didn't have the, what do you call it? The tolerance built up anymore. Yeah. And so with medication assisted treatment, like I understand it's not the cleanest success story, but you take a pill every day and you wean off of it over the course of a year and you don't fucking die. Right. Like, and you give yourself a chance for life. And so, um, so I really started believing in this and the science is, is pretty freaking clear. You know, like there's just plenty of evidence that shows like this is a successful modality. Anyway, is the business I started. We help people that are looking for some of these clinics and some of these doctors that can provide medication. This has been a really interesting thing because this industry is very localized, whereas nobody's flying across the country twice a month to go get a prescription refilled and to check in with their doctor. And so the online aspect of this was always delivery. It was always who can be the person to get all of the state licenses because you you have to work within the state. If you're going to prescribe, you can only prescribe within that state. It's like, who's going to be the person that can figure out how to build a home delivery service for medication assisted treatment and me being me obsessively looking around obsessively looking around i found this guy and he was the guy who invented pulse for linkedin do you remember that software that they used to have it was basically like the blogging network on linkedin before they like they baked it into linkedin itself he he mm-hmm. sold his company to linkedin it was called pulse it was like their, no their blogging network for 20 million bucks i think and he funded he used it his money to fund this company bicycle health and they're fucking doing it man they're they're really really doing it and i've been watching this company for a long time and i've been talking back and forth with the marketing director um it's been difficult to get this deal done just because it's healthcare so it's way more complicated in terms of like how you can market healthcare than it is if you're marketing like a SaaS product, there's just, there's laws and um, certifications and stuff that you need. And, and moral of the story is we, we finally got it done. So now I am going to be more or less representing this company, Bicycle Health on medic, medication assisted treatment. <clears throat> um, medically assisted is the same SEO strategy that I've always used. It's a geolocated directory. So we have all of the facilities and all the, all the clinics organized by state and city. And it geolocates the person searching to match their IP address to so the closest clinic for them. So I'm providing them on my website with all of the, the places they can go to. They can walk in the door and find a doctor, of course, if they want to. But throughout the website, all of the CTAs are going to be for home delivery for bicycle health. And I've been working on this deal for like a year and a half and next week it'll be finalized. And I'm just really, really proud of it and really excited. And I think it's something cool that I want to share. That's awesome, man. Congratulations, first of all. Yeah, thank you. And then, so, okay, this is kind of interesting because for a few reasons, one of which I think ties into a tweet that you sent a couple of days ago that I actually wanted to talk about some more. And it was, I think the tweet was really simple. It was something like, without a personal brand, you chase opportunities. With a personal brand, they come to you and then some kind of call to action, like get started now or something like that. Mm -hmm. When I first read that, dude, it really impacted me. I've been thinking about it all week because I think that's so true. And then I see something like this and I'm like, well, you know, what's interesting is I still think the biggest opportunities that you've capitalized on are ones that you found for yourself. Can you just reflect on that a little while? Like what did you, was this one of those or did this come to you or, and if, 
not, how did your personal brand play into this? If it didn't, it didn't No. Um, here's how the personal brand brand plays into it. When people vet you, Mm. you -hmm. have something to show for yourself. And so you're not just some Joe Schmo with a, like, a. I don't know, like uh, a logo on Twitter with like 112 followers and not that your follower account makes you any better or worse. It's just that there's clearly reputation behind who I am and what I do and what I have to show for. And so when I reached out to this guy, um, Parad, I think his name, hold on, Pulse, say LinkedIn, Parad. I hate messing people's name up. I just reached out to him on LinkedIn and Ankit Gupta, that's his name, Ankit Gupta. Um, yeah, he sold Pulse to LinkedIn and then he started this. And when I reached out to him on LinkedIn, he checked me out, obviously. And mm-hmm. since there's information about me, he responded. Whereas I don't respond to people that I, I don't know anything about them. And so I think that, yeah, I mean, look, the, the personal brand stuff, the content that I make is usually for my newsletter because I write about that in my Tim Styles newsletter, but don't get it twisted. The majority of the projects that I've been involved with, like you got to go get them, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, I really think there's two sides to that. And I think uh, there's kind of a push and a pull of personal brand. Like you said, this sounds like it was a little bit more on the push side where it's like you when you're when you're pursuing an opportunity, it backs up anything that you sort of go out and pursue you know so that's kind of interesting the thing that i'm thinking a lot about these days is like how do you how do you decide what to pursue when you get to a point where you have like a lot of of, a lot of good options and that was one of the reasons that your tweet stood out to me is because i feel like i've talked about this the last couple of weeks i've like been really busy in part because I have not been super choosy about what projects to take on, or maybe I've overcommitted. And I'm trying to remedy that um, and focus more on what's important. And for me, what is important has been publishing ideas. And I'm getting better at doing that consistently. And every time I do, um, you know, like new opportunities start to show up. And I don't really feel like I have a good framework in place yet for handling them. When it came to this, or for you, I mean, it seems like you're doing so many things. How do you think through what you actually want to tackle in terms of projects for like a quarter or something? How do you avoid getting tied up into so many things that you don't even have free time to take on something new that comes across your path that you couldn't have planned for? Well, I'm not immune to that. 2023 is all about saying no as much as fucking possible. I have a little bit more energy than the, the regular guy or gal. And so I think that's worked in my favor, but no, I've, I've absolutely taken on more projects than I should have over the last couple of years. You know, maturity plays a role in that. It's so hard when you're young. Remember how we talked about the other day, like, when you're young, you feel like you're running out of time. And when you get older, you realize the time is like so plentiful, you know, and so I'm, I'm going through that process. Uh, so I'm not taking on any new projects at all. Like maybe ever again. <laughs> In this case, though, like I built medically assisted a while ago. And the problem was, like I said, the problem was that because it's, it's not treatment, it's medication. And medication is served in clinics and clinics are visited by people who live near the clinic. So it just wasn't feasible for me to have marketing deals with like a couple of thousand across the country. One, because they're too small, like they wouldn't even, it wouldn't even make sense for them anyway. But even if it did, like what, I'm going to logistically manage all of this stuff and this wasn't happening. But I've known without a shadow of a doubt for six years in the same way I know about the stem cell space that the digital real estate for these search queries is, is wide open. It's completely wide open. And so I just have been patient. And then Bicycle Health, I, I discovered them two years ago and I reached out to them 
and we put kind of like an advertising deal together where they just put banners on the website and we had a good case study and it worked. And so we knew we had something going on. You know, we had to take a step back just to make sure that all of our stuff was in line and like legal, you know, and within, especially HIPAA, there's like privacy laws on the internet when it comes to healthcare and yeah, we got it done. So now, so now we're good to go. You're hitting on something. I'm glad I dug a little bit here because when I first watched you talk through this, I got the impression this was something that you just pulled together, like in the last couple of weeks, like while you were also building the copy blogger site and doing all these other things that have been recently launched. And when you said a minute ago where you're like, I haven't taken on a bunch more. The first thought through my head was like, except all this shit. But you said <laughs> something important, which is like, you found these guys two years ago. So here's what I want to highlight for people. I think when you get to this level, the projects and the deals take a lot longer than most people think they do. And for me, that's been one of the things that I've struggled with in terms of taking on too much, because I will stack things up that should be done in the same kind of time frame that I'm used to from like a couple of years ago when, when the stakes weren't as high, you know, like the thing I'm thinking about right now is this newsletter guide. I've been, we're a couple of weeks into publishing this serialized guide to the newsletter industry. It's totally free. People can go check it out. Um, I think if you just look up like trends.co slash guide, it's, it's up there. Um, but we'll link it up in the show notes. Anyways, that project has been literally years in the making. And yeah. a couple of times in that process, I have been under just incredible amounts of stress because I thought about it as something that was just going to be a couple of months. And I arranged my schedule as though that was just going to be a couple of months. And then things start to like carry over onto your current to-do list and that big project isn't done yet. And so you're carrying this huge project while still trying to do new things. And it's really, uh, it's really difficult. So the thing that I'm so glad that you said, and the thing that I've been learning slowly over time is just like, it takes longer to do the big stuff mm -hmm. than I think most people think. Because there's such a, a hustle culture that we all came up through where it's like you grind nights and weekends for a couple of weeks, you get your MVP out there, you start building. And that's fine for a while. But once the stakes go up or the types of clients that you're working with hit a certain point, or even just like the goals on quality hit a certain level, you got to be thinking months to years, I think. I agree. For sure. That's that's a tough lesson for people to learn. I still remember when I, like, I've gone through that twice now in, in, in different ways. One was when we first started this guide, which was back in the fall, winter of 2020 or 2020. Now I can't even remember. 2021. Was it? Yeah, because I was okay. in Miami. All right. So no, it was 2020 because, yeah, it was 2020 because it was, it was a pre- you know, attack on the White House or, or, or whatever you want to call the, what do we call it? Insurrection? <laughs> the on the White House. Whatever it was. Yeah. Pre-January pre uh, drama. Anyways, so this was literally years in the making at this point. But back then, I first started it as, you know, the same way I would tackle any other large project, which is like a lot of research, a lot of long days, trying to get it done super, super fast. And then at one point, we just weren't going to hit our deadlines. And I was walking around listening to a book from um, John McPhee. And he was talking about, he's, a, he's an incredible writer. He's written a whole bunch of really interesting narratives on subjects that you wouldn't think would be interesting, like oranges or something like that. And uh, he's an incredible writer. And I was listening to one of his books on writing and it just became so clear the amount of time that he puts into a project. And that was the first time it went through my head. I said, maybe I, maybe my expectations are just wildly misaligned for the size of the project that we're trying to tackle. Mm. And then um, the second time, honestly, was the first time I ever tried to acquire a business. And I was trying to get the whole thing done in like two months, a month. And I was really nervous because I was 
like moving through research very fast. It was large amounts of money that I wasn't comfortable with. And finally, somebody told me the same thing you kind of said about this whole thing, where he said, he's like, look, I have conversations with business owners for years before acquiring their companies in some cases. Like I'll put out feelers now for somebody that I know doesn't even want to sell yet because a year, two years, five years down the line, they might finally be ready. And then we'll know enough about each other to make that deal happen. And that again was just like a moment mm. where it's like, oh, there, and this ties in with what we talked about. There's time. There's time yeah. to do these projects. So I'm just glad that you highlighted that because I think, first of all, it's a little bit of selfishly just therapy for me, but also maybe people listening to this are in a similar position as I am where they, they drastically underestimate how long these types of things take before they're really ready for the public eye. And uh, that was helpful for me. So thanks for digging into it a little bit. I don't know if you want to keep talking about that. We can, we can switch topics too, if you want, but no, let, let's switch it up. Like I said, it was just something that I was like proud of. I don't have any behind the scenes of it at all. I just feel really, really good about it. It's a deal I've been working on for a long time. It's a space that like I care about and not a lot of people hear on podcasts. And so if I get a chance to talk about it, selfish, like I always take the opportunity to do so. Um, and thank you for, for your input, man. Yeah. Things take longer than you think. Urgency in the action, patient in the result. That is something that has really, really helped me and I hope it can help you too. <laughs> Wait a second. Say that one more time because the audio cut out for a second. Urgency in yeah, the action. Why does my audio keep fucking doing that? It's yeah. urgency in the action, patience in the result. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a great, I'm going to get that on a t-shirt or something. Also, if we have any listeners in Denver, like hit us up. Who, who the hell is your internet provider? Because we got to- I just had Comcast like, here today. I swear. Really? And they even told me, told me that these boosters are yep. complete scams he's like this is a complete scam don't buy it and the guy took out the hard line from comcast redid the hard line and gave me a new um 140 b, b like megabits whatever it is modem and so i don't know what's going on i honestly i think it's my computer i think i have like a gaming computer that just isn't made for zoom and so i think i need to upgrade my computer there you go. You can reason yeah. to go on a little. Which is fine, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. A nice little reason to go on a shopping spree there. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, but what do you got, man? Let's look at what you got. I got a couple of things. Okay. So we've talked on this podcast. In fact, he's been on this podcast before, Danny Miranda. Um, one of my favorite interviewers. And a very interesting dude to keep track of. Give me one second. I'm pulling something up here, people. Mm. Okay, so we all know Danny Miranda. We know Justin Welsh, right? Yes, I know Danny. I don't know Justin. Oh, really? Well, I know of him, but I don't know. Oh, okay. Him. All right. Yeah. I had a cool experience the other day. For people who don't know, Danny Miranda, great podcast interviewer. If you don't know his name yet, you're definitely going to know it at some point. It's a young up and comer, but he's already interviewed like a ton of interesting people, including Gary Vee, who I think was episode five of his podcast or something like that. Yeah. Um, he's been on this show, so you can go back through the archives. You can listen to that if you want. He did a show recently with a guy named Justin Welsh. Justin Welsh is a well-known creator who basically was in the startup game for a long time and kind of left to do the creator thing. He created some courses and uh, got big on Twitter, got big on LinkedIn, now makes, I think it's, you know, deep into the six figures, possibly low seven figures per year, uh, just generating traffic to his courses and some consulting via Twitter and LinkedIn. And so Justin spends a lot of time breaking down his company publicly. Um, and he was on Danny Miranda's show recently. And this was a cool experience for me because Danny has a tweet where he says, here's how Justin went from zero to 300K on Twitter. And it's a little clip from their show. And Justin talks about an article that I actually wrote for Trends. He says, <laughs> there is this article that came out on Trends.co about how uh, Sahil Bloom built his audience. 
And I guess something about the way that article was written uh, inspired him to go like reverse engineer the growth of a handful of other different Twitter creators and really start taking Twitter seriously. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever because I, you know, I'm a fan of Danny's, I'm a fan of Justin's, I've been following him since the beginning. And I really, I remember that piece. It was, uh, it was cool to realize that that had affected somebody in that way. And so in that piece, he's talking about something that you referenced as well, this crazy habit I have of like uh, reverse engineering people's growth and like internet stalking people through this uh, uh, like case study playbook that I have. And what I wanted to know is, have we ever talked through that playbook here on the show? Because if not, I could break it down real fast for people and we could share it if anybody else wants to do that. No, not the playbook itself. I think what you're referencing, yeah, like this is where I was, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. We never, we never referenced the playbook itself, but I have referenced on multiple occasions how shocking it is to discover how much shit you know about <laughs> random people on the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so full disclosure for anybody who's listening for the first time, for years, this has been my job. I'm not just a weirdo, um, but it's also, a, it's also, I'm also, yeah, it's also just a hobby. Yeah. Um, knows much more about you than you think he does. And whoever you <laughs> are, <laughs> you're included. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is, yeah, this is a habit that I picked up while writing uh, for trends. So for, for years, for the last couple of years, my job has been to basically reverse engineer the growth of different companies, creators, how they do what they do, figure out what really makes their strategy unique, and then write about it for other newsletters. And, oh, there's something I got to grab. Damn it, did I finally clean it up? The one day I finally put something away, and it's like, uh, we start talking about it on the podcast. So over the years, I've uh, basically developed a template for when I sit down to do this that that uh, keeps all the most important questions in front of me so that I can remember to go through and do every important step in the process. Because when you get when you find somebody and you stumble across them and you're like, oh, this person's work is really cool. It's easy to go down a rabbit hole and then spend hours and hours and hours digging into their work without any really useful insights. And so um, what I wanted to do real quick was just run through what the case study template is and talk about some of the high level things that are on here uh, so that people can do this for themselves if they want. Does that sound cool? Yeah, do it. All right, cool. I'm going to share my screen. At a high level, um, there's basically a few pieces to this. And for people looking at my screen, you'll see a few things. I'm, the main screen is basically the case study template. It's just a huge checklist. Of, so crazy. <laughs> it's a big checklist of uh, steps that I go through and then questions that I ask myself. And then in the side part here, um, there's a couple of things. There's like old case studies. So basically a whole bunch of people that I thought were cool. I also keep a backlog of cool ass companies. I'm not even sure what's on this right now. Uh, I guess... There's one. Yeah. This is a girl. Oh, there's a YouTube video. Who's like a, a woman who's a trucker and she's killing it. So those are basically the two pieces of the, or I guess three pieces of the equation. There's a case study template that reminds me of all the steps that I got to go through. There's a, a file folder full of old case studies, right? And I keep them around so I can easily reference them. And that comes in handy in a lot of different cases, not just in my work, but also just on things like this, you know, cause I can refer back to old, um, pieces. Like right now, if we were to talk about the Seahill Bloom article that I wrote, I can I can take you through all that data because it's all just uh, immediately available. And then the backlog. So I have a place to drop people whenever I stumble across something cool so that I don't have to go down those rabbit holes immediately. I know I'm going to be able to capture them somewhere. Digging into the template, there's I think there's like five or six high level parts of it. The first is general stuff that I do for pretty much everybody. And I'll get into what those are in a second. Second area that I always look at is what I call the 0.0, which is like, how did they start? And specifically what I'll do is go way back in time. And I have a few tricks for this, but I want to see what did their work look like when they first really started putting work out. So if that's a creator, it'd be like the first articles they publish. If it's a brand, I'll go back and look at the very first versions of their website. Um, a lot of people get this wrong they'll benchmark themselves against other people in the field who've been doing it for years. And they'll think like, oh, if I want to be like whatever, 
Sahil as an example, if I want to be like Tim or if I uh, say I want to be like Tim, I look at Tim and his website and his company and try to just build that. And that's fine if that's going to be a long-term goal, but Tim has been doing this for years. He has a year's head start on you. And so the more accurate thing to do would be go back in time and see what it actually looked like when he first started and try and just get yourself up to that level first. Um, then monetization. So I have some tricks for like figuring out how much money somebody is making. Growth and marketing. This is probably the most the part that most people are most interested in is like, how do they actually get the word out? And then some stuff about like operations. How do they structure their company? And then a critique. <clears throat> so I'll dig into each one of these really quickly. But uh, the way that I basically, well, I'll pause there for a second. Do you have any questions about this as we go? No. No, no, no. Just keep going. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So the general stuff is really simple. Um, for people who are interested, there's a couple of things I always do. I always go to Crunchbase and I will type somebody's company name in there and I'll read up, I'll read any news that comes up on them. And, and by the way, a lot of this, one of the reasons I have a checklist is because the real process is just, it's, it's literally just sitting down and consuming a lot of stuff on a company in a fairly well thought out order so that you're not just chasing leads all over the web. You are curating and consuming a set of information that you know is going to lead to interesting or useful outcomes. So on the general side, I'll always go to Crunchbase and I read any news that is there related to their company. I also type the founder's name and I read like as many of the resulting interviews as I possibly can. That's usually like six to 10 on the top end. Beyond that, you'll start to see a lot of the same answers start to pop up. So, you know, I don't really go much further than that. But like six to 10 interviews, if they're available, I'll read them all. Then I look at the founder's social media and blog to see what they're into at this time. Um, especially if you're getting ready for an interview with them, that's one of the most interesting ways to find questions that people haven't asked them inside of those interviews that you've read. And then the last thing, if this is a company, have they published their main goal somewhere? And then I'll start to assess how realistic I think that goal is based on the other things that I learned as I go through this industry analysis. So that's the general stuff. You read all that, you're gonna have a really good idea for like most of what follows, but also who somebody is, what they're after, how they think about their work, that kind of thing. Now, if you really wanna dig into the nitty gritty, that's where these other sections come in. So V0.0, a couple of tools that I'll use for this. One is the internet archive. You just go to archive.org. You can plug, plug any uh, website you want in there and it will show you old versions of it. So just roll all the way back in time and look at the earliest versions of what they do. For Sahil, this was kind of the tricky part for uh, reverse engineering how fast his Twitter audience grew. For big names on Twitter, you can plug, you can plug their, um, their Twitter URL into that archive.org tool as well. And it will show you snapshots of their Twitter page over time. And then you can just look at the follower count. So that's how I charted how fast his, uh, his audience grew. So archive.org is a big one. But then I'll also look at how they get their early funding and any stories I can find about how they landed their first customer. Um, first customer story is a really good one. Yeah, because, cool. yeah, it's, a, it's also a great question to like ask an entrepreneur. Because a lot of times people would be like, oh, well, where'd the idea come from? Or how, like, let's say like, how'd you get started? Something general like that. But if you really focus somebody's attention, be like, tell me the story of the first customer you ever got. Like, just listen to the difference. Like, Tim, for uh, Stasi, can you tell me the story of the first customer you ever got? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Who was it? Right, right now? <laughs> yeah. Just real okay. quick. Like, what's the, what's the like four or five sentence version of it? It was a husband and wife couple who had an all-woman streaming center in Fort Lauderdale. The husband was a German physicist with like four PhDs. And the whole entire time we were trying to pitch this meeting, all he was talking about were Alzheimer's and the fact that there's studies that relate Alzheimer's to like dander on cats and how felines dude he was out there you could not get him to stop fucking talking i was probably at this place for like four hours and his wife was just looking at him like dude stop talking and then finally i was just so exhausted i was just like 
do you want me to, I was like, do you want me to do this or not? And then I got the deal. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, yeah. Did not expect that actually, but, but hopefully yeah. people listening will hear like, there's a difference there between me being like that or me saying like, oh, how'd you start your company? And both stories are interesting, but you're going to get a lot more out of somebody if you ask them something more specific like that, you know? So <laughs> that's amazing. That's a little bit about how they, how they start. Monetization can be a Here little trickier. Cat parasite is linked to Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> he was ahead of his time. Okay, I'm so sorry. I just, after I said it, I was like, that's what he was talking about, right? I can't say something like that on a podcast and have it not be true. <laughs> and so I just needed to fact check myself. But yes, there's parasites and cats that are strongly correlated with Alzheimer's disease. And I learned that from a ridiculously smart, long-winded German doctor in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> anyway. And if we wanted to, like we could dig in deeper on like how you structured that deal or things that you learned there, things that no, you changed. No, 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 no not, we're, we're not going to. But what I'm trying to express to people is that when you start with that story, it gives you a whole bunch of avenues to keep digging with somebody so that well, you can learn more about their company, you know? And that's really what this is about is trying to figure out how people really did what they did. Not just the bullshit like Forbes mm -hmm. um, 30,000 foot view of how somebody did what they did. Growth uh, monetization is a little bit more complex. I probably won't get into that now, but there are some tools that can help this. Um, others is, I mean, you can just ask people how much money they make, or you can uh, make some industry guesses. One more thing that's really good though, and this is part of the reason that I read so many interviews, and I've mentioned this on here before, people will share information from two years ago. They won't share last year's numbers. They won't share this year's numbers, but they'll say like, oh, you know, back in 21, we did X number of dollars and we're growing at X percent. If you track down enough of those interviews over time, you can map exactly how much money they made. Um, Do you really find that to be true? People don't share this, this year's numbers? It depends on who you're talking to. A lot of startups won't. A lot of startups won't huh. because because they're because it's a visit. It's like a it's a it's an optics game, right? Like if your numbers aren't crushing it year over year yet, they just won't share them. Um, I'm thinking specifically about a story I did on a last mile delivery service, where I read like a dozen interviews with the founders and a couple Worst of times. Business. What's that? Terrible business. Last mile delivery. Yeah. It's a tough gig. Mm. I read a couple of interviews with the founders and uh, in each case, they absolutely refused to share their most current numbers, um, but they would share the numbers from last year. And so I just, as soon as I realized that pattern, I was like, oh, wait a second. And I just tracked back across a couple wow. of articles to, uh, to get to what their growth looked like year over year. So, um, yeah, a lot of people won't share. Some people, you know, some people will, but um, Sam is actually really good at this. If you like watch old HustleCon videos on YouTube, he's really good at digging in with people and getting them to share information that they might not be comfortable sharing otherwise. And there's a couple of ways that he does that for an interview setting. Um, one is to like lead with vulnerability. So if you're willing to talk your numbers, other people are usually willing to talk theirs. And then yeah. the other is that you like you can you can do it with other questions like um you know you'd be like when was the like when, at what point did you finally feel rich right and then they might start talking they'll say oh well that was when we hit x number in revenue or something so you know they're above that or like you can just another trick is for interviewing if you ballpark and you purposefully get it wrong a lot of times people will correct you where they wouldn't necessarily share numbers up front but you they could be like oh well you know we grew at this much last year, like we grew 50% last year, be like, oh, wow. So that's gotta be like, what, like $5 million or something like that. And they'd be like, no, well, it's actually closer to 10. And then, and then you can do the math for yourself. Um, so there's, there's lots of little ways to kind of like move the conversation towards these answers. Um, but monetization seems to be, it's generally like the hardest thing to get people to talk about. Yeah. Um, we'll blast through these last couple of ones real quick though. Uh, growth of marketing. That's a lot of just analyzing what's all already out there. I think one of my favorite things to do is go to uh, the Facebook ads library 
Totally. Um, and then you just start, there's a couple things you can do there for people who have not seen that resource yet. You just Google it, Facebook ad library. You can type in any brand. You can see all their active ads. You can see when the ad started running. So if you look at their like longest running ads, obviously very effective. You can start to reverse engineer what their process is, but you can also click the ad and it will take you straight through to whatever the landing page is for that ad. So you can start to analyze how they structure their funnel, right? And then if you really want to get into it with somebody that like, if you're studying a competitor or something, um, sign up for their mailing list, see what they're sending people, see what it's like to unsubscribe. What does that process look like? Hmm. There's a bunch of stuff on the operations side. And then this is the operations thing is like the last thing I'll typically do. And then I'll talk about this critique in a second, because this was actually kind of a, a new thing for me, but um, operations is like, how do they build How do they build the company? Um, and a couple of fun things to do here, like one would be to review their hiring page. People will say a lot about what their priorities are in a company, but the hiring page really reveals it, right? Like, you know what they're going to do if you know what they're hiring for. Uh, and then the super sneaky little hack is to plug the hiring page into that archive.org page and then uh, and review how it's changed over time. Because you'll see things like, way back when they first started, what were the first roles that they hired for? That's important, right? If you're going to start a company in a certain space, you might want to know what the build, like what does the plan look like for building the team over time? You can also figure out like what roles are hard to keep filled that they continually hire for. You know, I've seen companies that are like always hiring for a VP of ops or something like that. And it's like, oh, okay. It's just a hard role to keep filled. That's a way to do that. Now, the the last thing, and I actually don't do this very often, but if I were a founder in this, in, in any space, and I was like seriously considering deploying real capital to it, I would do this. This is this section is focused on identifying um, how likely certain competitors are to be successful and where the gaps are in their strategy. And the way that I built this out, there's a lot of questions in here, like what's their stated mission? Is this possible? How's their uh, EBITDA versus their projections? How long can they last with the cash on hand? What chunk of their market is really up for grabs? There's a whole bunch of stuff in here. The way that I structured this, this is my favorite thing to look at for people who are interested, is um, short position reports. So there's a uh, group out there called Caresdale Capital. And you can see this. I have a whole bunch of their short position reports, like all marked up. Oh. Um, what they do is they, uh, you know, I, they're, um, I don't know, they're like a, a hedge fund or whatever. There's some kind of fund. And they have long and short positions on certain companies. And when they have a short position on a company, they publish these reports. And they are so good. It's The research is fantastic. Like they'll talk to experts in the industry. They'll talk to ex-employees. They 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 buy like these ten or fifteen thousand dollar reports on a particular industry, and break it down. And so I read like one or two of them, and I was so fascinated with the voice. The other thing that's interesting about this is that these short position notices are designed to try to sway you on in a certain direction. So they're written with like real voice behind them. Uh, so they're really entertaining and stuff. Anyways, I deconstructed the way that they they do these. And that's where this critique section comes up. Um, a lot of the questions in that section are kind of the reverse engineering that's so of cool. their reports. Yeah, but it's like, it's um, until I read their reports, I hadn't really thought as critically about whether or not a company could do what it wanted to do. I would always just study like, oh, how have they been successful so far? But there's a whole critical side to it too, which is like, is this actually going to work? And I think these financial firms that are potentially taking long or short positions, they're incentivized to get that right. And so they're just, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying that they are right, but I'm saying that they're really interesting. It's interesting to observe their thinking on it. Yeah. And there's no, it's not like an S1 filing where you can't have voice or anything in the document. Yeah. It's there. It can be persuasive and take a position. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, like the title on this is literally Astra Space Inc. Headed for Disaster, <laughs> which is which is great. Um, so anyways, I wanted to get that recorded for anybody that uh, is interested in nerding out 
like that. And yeah, very cool. um, we got a Google doc too, that I will link off to if you want a, a copy of some of this stuff. Awesome. Well, don't leave us a review. Take a don't leave us a review. Take a screenshot and post it on Instagram. I have an Instagram. It's Tim Stas with two Z's. I don't think you have an Instagram, Ethan. I've looked at you before. No. Well, don't tag Ethan. You can tag me though. I'll take the tag. And you can tag me. My Instagram is at Tim Ferris. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure I know about the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. All right, man. Well, great show as always. We went, uh, definitely went a little over this week, but I really enjoyed listening to that. And anytime I see somebody's full life history and company breakdown published on the internet, I'll know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, warning. Don't be a dick, right? Yeah, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. You can Definitely. dig, you can find a lot of stuff if you go digging for people, which remember everybody's human. And uh, if you dig stuff up on people, they're going to dig stuff up on you. So yeah. be real careful with what you share. Mm -hmm. All right. Later, people. See you guys. Talk to you next week.